Hello and welcome to Cheat the Camera, the podcast by, for, and about short films and short filmmakers. Today I am interviewing an excellent Bulgarian filmmaker by the name of Tony Janov. You might have seen some of his work in No Film School recently, and I'm just very excited to talk about the really interesting, high-concept, extremely low-budget short films that he's been doing recently. Tony, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell uh, everybody a little bit about you. Hi, everyone. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. My name is Tony, and I am a filmmaker who is still aspiring, up and coming, but I do love experimenting a lot with the genre, making short films about all kinds of different topics, seeing how far I can push it with the lowest possible budget and seeing where the journey takes us. Yeah, yeah. And the most recent project that I have seen is Elevator. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that project? The Elevator is, uh, yes, my latest short film. And it all started uh, by my love of the idea about creative limitation, which I strongly believe in and it's all about this start backwards when it comes to your idea figure out what your resources you have and then figure out the story based on them so in my case i just moved into a new apartment building and found out that one of the elevators in there looks a little bit creepy to be honest <laughs> so <laughs> you know like uh, the light bulb immediately lit up and i was like well this actually would make for a pretty cool location for a horror film. So <laughs> I started with that. I was like, what kind of short film, what kind of story I can tell only in that elevator? One single location, no actors, one camera, just me. What kind of story I can figure out in that? It started with that challenge of figuring out a story based on that simple limitation. Yeah. And it definitely, you know, having just recently watched it again, I I was really impressed by the way that you managed with one location, essentially one crew member being you, as I understand it, and one actor also being you, as I understand it. You were able to able to take the the story in directions that I never would have expected. I so I for everybody out there listening, we are going to be getting into spoilers about both elevator and if we have time his previous short film 2088 so if you have not had a chance to watch those i would definitely suggest pausing and taking a trip on over to tony's youtube which i will have linked in the description to take a look at these two projects and perhaps more by the time you listen to this they are fascinating and uh, we're going to get into all sorts of spoilers so definitely take a chance to take a look at that before uh, before continuing on because the suspense and the uncertainty is really a big part of both of these projects asking where is this gonna go so speaking of elevator why don't you give us a little bit of a short summary of the plot yes so the story takes place in the elevator and it's from the perspective of a security camera and with the main reason being that I didn't have anyone to film for me. So the only thing I could do was to fix the camera in the corner and make it realistic. So the story is meant to be in the found footage genre and it's supposed to be a very realistic view of something that could might as well happen in real life. And we see a person entering in an elevator and getting stuck in there. And then we follow his journey, trying to 
free himself up from the elevator and then eventually receiving a help which might not be the one that he would have hoped for. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you, when when he received the pistol and stared up at the camera in some level of shock, I guess when you stared up at the camera in some level of shock, I also was mirroring that shock. That was really a surprise. And then, you know, your, your finale surprise when we realized that this is some sort of live broadcast and people are taking bets on what what this poor trapped man in the elevator is going to do i thought that was was a genius so can you tell me a little bit about how the story came to be it sounds like you had a location and you were thinking what can i do in this location so how did this idea come about after that yes can i just say first of all thank you so much i couldn't stop smiling as you were saying all that <laughs> <laughs> this is seriously, uh, as a filmmaker, there's nothing better to hear. Anyways, okay, so the story, it, I always knew that it was going to take place in the elevator, but I knew that simply getting stuck there is not enough. So from the very beginning, I was trying to figure out what is that twist, what is that extra layer that I can add to it, because I always knew that the elevator would get stuck, because frankly, there's not that much you can do in just an elevator. <laughs> but what I started with is asking myself, what is something that can turn this on its head? How can I take this everyday occurrence of an elevator getting stuck and turn it into something truly horrifying? So it started with that. How can I do this? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's excellent. And was there any particular inspiration for the idea that this turns out to be some sort of kind of horrific, almost saw-like uh, torture experience? Uh, that that ending reveal. How did you how did you come up with that idea? I I I think it also comes down to the fact that I am planning an overarching theme of all the short films that I'm making that they take place in the same sort of universe. Mm. So this was a part of that. And there are elements that connect all the short films. So in this particular case, I wanted to explore a part of this quote unquote universe where there is a certain type of people who have a lot of anonymity and a lot of power and money and basically entertaining themselves by seeing people torturing themselves. By the way, after I published the short film, some of the comments told me that this is actually uh, allegedly a real thing. So it was quite a shock to me to realize oh, no. that a really fucked up idea that I had is actually something that happens allegedly in real life. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so that, that was a surprise. But as in terms of inspiration, I really love the show Black Mirror. So there's definitely a Black Mirror element in there that I think people who love the show would uh, definitely recognize if they see the short film. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that as I was watching it. It's it's kind of interesting. Uh, I feel like Black Mirror has sort of inspired the twisted imaginations of a whole generation of young filmmakers. That's that's a that was an inspiration brought up by a previous interview. And it's definitely something I've thought about as I'm writing, kind of taking these these sort of high concept often very dark what-if scenarios and and kind of playing them out with, with various characters. It's, it's funny, I feel that if you, as, as a writer, as a, as a creative, 
we often end up telling stories that we would never ever want to put ourselves into personally. <laughs> and yet, yet we often, we, we do that. We kind of have to put our characters through a torturous scenario, even if it's a romantic comedy, uh, there's often heartbreak involved at some point. So that reminds me, you made this entire project on your own, correct? Yes, correct. Wow, that's that's incredible. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about just kind of the practical, the practicalities of filming in an elevator by yourself? How how long did it take? What sort of preparation did you do coming into it? Yes, absolutely. Also, if uh, anyone is interested uh, in actually seeing it, I put up a behind the scenes video of the whole process of shooting the elevator. So there's a few quite fun moments in there. but. Practically, it was actually quite challenging. And the very first obvious factor I had to think about is that this elevator is in a residential building, so people actually use it. <laughs> so what <laughs> I ended up making is that I waited until about three in the morning, in the night, in a weeknight. So there's zero chance, almost zero chance of anyone using it. So that was the time that I actually <laughs> had to film just to make sure that no one will enter the elevator on their way back from work or a night out and just see like a dude sleeping in there with a pistol. <laughs> oh, that is that is excellent. I'm uh, uh, so the fact that you looked really tired is actually real. Yes, it's very real. And honestly, <laughs> I, I spent more time in that elevator than I would have wished to. And by the end of it, I almost felt like I was stuck in there, you know? <laughs> so I don't like it now. And I just take the stairs from now on. <laughs> oh, that is great. A life imitates art. That is excellent. So how uh, about how long uh, did you did you spend filming the short? I'd say it took a bit about a few hours in total, maybe two or three. And uh, what I ended up doing is that I, I didn't really have a script, but I had sort of bullet points of story beats that I wanted to take. So entering the elevator, realizing that it's stuck, and then a few of the moments where I communicate with the phone to the camera about I'm stuck, I don't have water, and so far and so on. So I had an idea about those beats, but also I needed to show a huge passage of time because I really needed to convey that he's stuck in there for basically 24 hours. Right. So I, what I ended up doing is take a pause and stay still for maybe five ish minutes, then another pause, stay still, another pause, stay still. And yeah. then in post, I would fast forward it. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to show that it was actually longer than it was in real life, I would just sort of ping pong it. I think it's the term basically yeah. fast forward it, copy the footage next to mm -hmm. it and just reverse it and then copy that and reverse it again. So it just makes it longer without really noticing. So I did that. I did that little trick quite a few times. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there was an, uh, an awful lot of the fast forwarding technique, which I thought was I thought that was really interesting as a way of showing an incredibly large passage of time. You know, this this poor sop stuck in an elevator has apparently been in there for possibly days. So it makes a lot of sense that you would use a little editing trick so that you don't actually have to be stuck in there for days, especially given that yes. it's a, a working working location that you didn't 
maybe quite actually have the permits for, you know, the access for. That makes a lot of sense. I, 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 was, I would rather, in this case, ask for forgiveness and permission. So I'm just really <laughs> happy that no one entered the elevator. There was nothing that happened. And, you know, nothing happened. I just filmed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially, especially when you're going to have something that looks like an actual weapon that, that definitely gets dicey. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think that I would have had the... the fortitude or perhaps desperation to do that. The gun part scared me a little bit in the film and also as a filmmaker, I was, I thought, oh no, I hope, I hope everything's going to go all right. And I'm glad that it did. So- You, you know what's funny about, about the gun is that <laughs> I genuinely, it, it's a toy gun, right? Uh, I <laughs> think you call them BB gun or maybe airsoft, mm -hmm. like something like that is the term. It's basically a toy and shoots like small plastic balls, mm -hmm. but I felt so weird touching it. Even <laughs> knowing that it's toy, I genuinely was really weirded out by holding a gun, which in hindsight, it helped with my quote unquote performance because I actually was very uncomfortable around it. <laughs> but I totally get what you mean. And you know, so we just gotta do what we gotta do sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Speaking of kind of your performance, I I recall at a few points in the short, you were sweating as you were staring up at the camera and you looked just absolutely desperate. I'm wondering, were you sweating in, in fact, or was that something you did through some sort of makeup process? I love that you're asking that question because I'm so proud of this. So the sweating, I knew that I wanted to eventually start sweating and it was hot in there, but not enough to actually make me look as sweaty as I appeared in the short film. Mm -hmm. So I researched a little bit of uh, fake sweat online and figured out that there is a glycerin with water mixture that you can do and put in a spray bottle and basically appear sweaty. So I went outside to look for glycerin and for whatever reason, I couldn't find any. And hmm. I got pretty desperate until eventually I realized that, you know what, as long as it looks sweaty, it really doesn't matter what it is. So I went through what we have basically in the apartment and found a little sunscreen oil kind of thing, mm. just for when you go to the beach, mm -hmm. spread myself and voila, I looked sweaty as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so what I ended up doing is between a few of the takes, I just headed right outside of the elevator. I had my backpack with stuff. So I just kept the bottle there and I would increasingly spray myself more and more and more between each of the little takes that I would do. And that's how I did it. It was just sunscreen. Oh, that's great. That, yeah, it worked. It was a very convincing job. Yeah. And then there, I did want to ask about the, the poster in the background that says the choice of yours is, uh, the choice is yours. Is there any particular meaning for that? for the project, for the greater universe, or is it just the thing that we're supposed to remember as we go back and think, oh, that's kind of the whole point of the project? Wow, that is a great question. Out of hundreds and hundreds of comments, you're the only the second person to mention the poster. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. I am obsessed with details and Easter eggs in the, in the short films. I do this mm -hmm. obsessively and I love it. And I feel that this is a, almost a reward for the people who watch carefully. And it's a cool little thing for the people who care. The poster itself, it, it is definitely a little Easter egg in there. And it's meant in the beginning as a something that when you don't know the ending of this short film, you might look at it and think to yourself, hmm, okay, well, that's like a poster. Mm -hmm. Not think too much of it. Mm -hmm. But once you know how it ends, then it makes sense as to the choice of yours of... Are you going to 
shoot or are you going to basically starve yourself to death <laughs> so you're either, you're gonna die either way so the choice is yours but do you really have a choice yeah <laughs> it's oh. just a little fucked up thing that i imagine that the characters who are watching the live stream and organizing it they did there almost for their own joke and laughs just to have it in there so whoever's stuck near the elevator can look at this poster and think to himself i guess yeah the choice is mine but is it though yeah yeah oh that's great that's great yeah and yeah i I just was, I really want to commend you on, on this short film that you were able to put together. I, it definitely held my intention for the entire running time, which is quite a thing to say about a project that was filmed with one person and a GoPro in, I think, the, pos the smallest possible area that you could film in, an actual elevator. That, yeah, just, I, I commend you on that. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. It, it really means a lot. Yeah. And so maybe we can talk uh, for a few minutes about uh, your other short film that you shot previous to this, 2088. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a summary of what that story is about? Yes. So 2088, as uh, you might be able to guess from the name, takes uh, place in the year 2088. And it takes place in a society which is uh, quite a bit more advanced. It's still our timeline. I guess it's my interpretation of our future. Mm -hmm. So society has evolved quite a lot. AI has advanced to a basically unrecognizable level of is that a human or not. There's a lot of problems with global warming and the main issue is privacy, which in that society basically does not exist. There's no privacy and the big controlling organ of government, I would say, is someone who the characters in the movie refer to as they. Mm. And it goes so far as to that you cannot even badmouth them you cannot say something negative about them mm -hmm. because they would immediately know and uh, you would not like the the what comes after that yeah <laughs> so the short film uh, follows the story about a physics researcher who's gone missing and our character who uh, by the way the short film takes place on a computer screen entirely so all the communication is done through a chat messages so we have the person who is typing from our point of perspective. He's mm -hmm. speaking to another person. And then the third person is the physics researcher who went missing. And all of them are connected somehow. And they figure out why he went missing and what happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And I... Again, this is even more of an experiment in what you can do and how much you can do with how little, because my impression is that you specifically chose uh, an incredibly small and kind of crappy toy camera to uh, film the project. Absolutely. For the longest time, I, I've been almost stuck in a place where I thought that I need the right gear and I need those really fancy cameras and mm -hmm. uh, sliders and gimbals and lenses to make something truly great. I I see it as a problem for up and coming filmmakers, especially because, you know, when we watch those uh, fantastic YouTube influencers and uh, great filmmakers, and they always have gear for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, mm -hmm. It makes us think that that's what we need. Mm -hmm. But when you're at a certain level, you realize it's not. But specifically, when you're just starting out, it could give you the wrong impression and it could actually be quite discouraging to you. So I wanted to make the point of 
you don't need any fancy gear the story will always matter most and to really prove my point i tried to make something with the quite literally worst camera i could possibly find which ended <laughs> up being a children's camera which costs about 15 dollars <laughs> that is pretty yeah that is you have to have a lot of a lot of certainty that the story matters most if you're going to find specifically the worst camera that you can i i i i think so yes and I am very happy with the result and I think it was partially because it was again came down to creative limitation. I had this limitation of the toy camera so obviously I could not film as you would normally with with a camera because then it would be just a footage that looks terrible and no one would want to see that. <laughs> so I thought to myself how can I present this footage in a way that it would actually make sense within the context of the story. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being part of a website and on an internet video which is uh, encrypted and secure with a slow connection so it made sense that the video is so crappy and pretty much no one questioned it yeah so it came down from that figure out the limitation and write a story around it yeah yeah and i again i i want to say this about 2088 as well again it held my attention i was interested in what was going on i wanted to find out what had happened to these characters even though you don't even see any moving footage of any character's faces. You basically just see blurry video of a person wandering around or, of course, uh, discovering that they can, can use telekinesis. And I did want to ask about that. How were you able to perform those effects on, I assume, a very small budget, possibly with not very many crew? Yes, again, it was completely all by myself, no crew, <laughs> no budget. And by the way, sometimes I see people say like small budget or, or and then say that something costs like $50,000, which <laughs> maybe, but to me, small budget is something that you could either go buy a dinner or make a short film. Like that's to me, small <laughs> budget. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that we're, me and the audience are on the same page, what I mean by small budget. It's something that it's literally, a few bucks but yeah i did it by myself and specifically about the part with the telekinesis i used a very very old school trick by tying a very thin fishing rod to the objects and then pulling them off camera mm -hmm. to appear as that they're levitating or moving by themselves and it actually the toy camera being so crappy ended up being an advantage because it really hit the string so i didn't have to do any digital removing of the string or anything like that because you just couldn't see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. You know, it reminds me of, this is, it's apocryphal. I heard this from a special effects supervisor I worked with once, but he said that, you know, at, at LucasArts, the, the going adage was, if you want to make your special effects look really convincing, all you need to do is smudge up the lens and make it really dark, and then it'll look really <laughs> great, uh, which is, I, I guess it's true. I mean, Alien and Jurassic Park and so many other of these, you know, seminal uh, science fiction or special effects masterpieces, they they're in the dark uh, and you can't really see what's going on. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like uh, you had the exact same sort of approach. Yes, I love this old school filmmaking before the era of CGI. Nothing against CGI, but I just have such love for practical and when people come up with creative out-of-the-box solutions for problems that you would normally solve with CGI. Recently, actually, I've been 
very very interested in silent movies particularly mm. the work of buster keaton who is mm. a genius in my opinion and back then they were actually pulling off some really really impressive effects purely by the force of their creativity yeah. in camera effects without any sort of cgi or post-processing and i think that's that's one of the true beauties of filmmaking it's so fun to do it and then it's uh, fun for the audience uh, to see it and as a nice added bonus i think it ages much better too yeah no that makes a lot of sense yeah there's something inherently uh inherently enjoyable about watching someone else through sheer creativity rather than through sheer force of money surprising you and doing something 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 great with with just the force of their creativity as you said so i did want to ask a little bit about the the compositing because a big element of 2088 uh, is the desktop and the movement of the mouse and the speed of the typing all of that gives you a lot of sense of the character's mental state particularly the the typists i i i've got to be honest i when after the struggle with the mouse and then we realized that somebody else has taken over control of the desktop, I, I felt that the movement of the mouse to delete things and exit out of things was actually kind of sinister, which, which really surprised me because we're talking about a cursor moving across a desktop screen, but it had had that much character in it. And I just wanted to ask, uh, how did you go about animating those and how, many, how much trial and error went into finding just the right way of animating the, the desktop? That is, I have to say, that is a fantastic interpretation of it. I, I really mean this. <laughs> and I couldn't agree with you more. And it was something very, very deliberate. So as there are no actors uh, visible in 2088, we don't see any faces, we don't hear any voices. I still needed a way to convey their emotions and show how they're feeling other than what just they're saying. So through trial and error, I found out two things that the cursor could actually be a character in itself. And just depending on how you move it on the desktop, it actually could mean a bunch of different things. If, for example, the character went on really fast to close a window, you could sort of guess that he just wanted out of that conversation. He wanted to move on. He could have been angry or anything like mm -hmm. that. Or if he was slowly hovering above something, then it does look like he's really considering something. It's uh, an intense moment. He's scared of something. So simply the movement of the character, of the cursor, it, it gave character to the whole short film. <laughs> and then another little tool that I used is the way that they type. For example, there was a specific moment towards the beginning of the short film where our character types something, then he stops for a little bit, deletes it, and then types something else, and then types that. So we as an audience could immediately understand what he's actually thinking and then what he chose to say instead, which is something that actually you don't really, it's not as easy to do even when you have actors. It's a bit harder to tell what's going on inside their head. But thanks to that screen format, we were able to show it. And that was actually great. That really helped convey the message and the feelings of the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's the sort of thing that you, you really can't do in your typical film because, well, we have people talking and we don't generally get an inner monologue. But 
because you're typing it, it, it is an inner monologue in some respects. And yeah, you were able to lean into some of these constraints and uh, make, make the, what many might see as a weakness into a strength through, through the constraints that you, you put upon yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing goes to the uh, big moment at the end where uh, we get this very chaotic uh, movement of the mouse, which I essentially, I knew that there will be a fight at the end, but again, I had no actors, just myself. <laughs> so I was like, how the hell can I show a fight? And one one option I was considering was, you know, maybe turning on the camera of the computer, having like a small window and seeing how people fight. But I realized that one of the beauty of horror films in particular, for at least for me, when they work really well, is when they actually don't give you everything. They leave most of your own imagination. I think a classic example of that is the Jaws. You don't see that much of the shark, which makes mm -hmm. it so much scarier. So I, I took the same approach. I just showed the cursor and then you could easily imagine what's going on, how they're fighting for the mouse. And mm -hmm. it's almost up to your imagination about how violent or not violent that is and what happens at the end. It's quite open, but it gives you the seed of the idea and then it grows uh, inside of your own head. I don't have to spell it out for the audience. And I believe that just by giving them that little element, it uh, has a bit of stronger effect. It makes them an active viewer because they have to think for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. Suggestion might be the most important asset for any sort of storyteller. It's what we are finding for ourselves and, and the meaning that we're making ourselves that really, that really gets at us because, like you said, we're active. So you, you filmed 2088, which was no actors, no moving images, uh, and the crappiest camera you could. And then you filmed Elevator, which was one actor being yourself, one crew being yourself, and one camera being a GoPro, and one location, which was the big addition. And it seems like there's a trajectory, you know, your, your shorts are growing in size and scope, and if it continues in a linear progression, you're going to be at the highest levels pretty soon. But I guess, in the meantime, uh, where are you, where do you feel like you're going to be going next with your short filmmaking and uh, your creative? That's awesome to talk about. So I have for the past two months written basically a manuscript to myself about what is the big story. So there's one big overarching story that I really want to tell. And the way that I would tell it is through those short films. So each short film is self-sustainable you can watch it by itself without having seen anything else but if you watch all of them it turns out that they're all one piece of a one big puzzle so they're very connected and each of them will give a little bit more and more and more information from the story so in particular with the next short film i reveal who they from 2088 are and essentially how it started mm. So you would be able to see the next short film by itself and get it and it's completely okay. But if you actually follow the story, it will be very exciting to see how it continues and just giving you a little bit more and more and more with each one until I complete the whole story. Oh, that's really exciting. That sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like you're really, really excited about it. How, how did you come up with the idea of doing kind of a growing shared universe? I think it came pretty naturally because the short films uh, are quite, the, the common demo denominator between them is that they're all a little bit dark, they're all a little bit twisted. And then 
it was basically when I was brainstorming the second short film that I realized that, you know what, this sounds like it is something that could have happened around uh, the same universe as 2088. And then I thought to myself, well, if that's the case, if it would take place in the same universe, who would be those people and what is their story? What do they want? And mm -hmm. then I started thinking to 2088 and then I was answering questions to myself about who they are and what's up with the telekinesis, how that comes to play for which mm -hmm. I have the answer and I'm very excited to show it <laughs> eventually. But everything makes sense. Everything is very connected and it was so much fun to actually write this big story arch, big outline. And there's things that are set up in 2088, which is the telekinesis, which is extremely, extremely important key element later on. And I'm really excited just to get this out to people. And it's, I just have so much fun brainstorming those and doing it. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds exactly, sounds like a lot of fun to be making. It really is. It really is. And each short film, though, in itself, it's, it's, it's also always a challenge. I'm trying to, again, experiment with what can I do by myself? So maybe I can give you a little exclusive. The next short film, maybe it will be out by the time this is out, but the next short film will be a POV perspective. Mm. So it will be first person short film. So it is, again, how, what can I do with this format? What can I do that it's something more original, a new take on the format? How can I tell a cool story in a POV format? Again, because it's just me. <laughs> so when I have no one to film, I'll just put the camera on my forehead and I will <laughs> film it. <laughs> so same thing comes from creative limitation. That's my limitation right now. I will film it in a POV perspective. Let's make a story with it. Excellent. That sounds really exciting. And let's see. I so where do you see yourself going as a filmmaker? What, where do you hope to find yourself in six months or a year or two years? I, I definitely am continuing with the short films, but on the side, I'm also really excited about YouTube and creating content for YouTube. So I'm very excited about sharing the journey behind the scenes, the process, how I make stuff, just to grow a community about people who are interested in DIY filmmaking and telling a story in those actual snow budgets and small budgets <laughs> yeah so i i am very excited to show the journey share it but also grow so i don't think i will make a feature film you know within a year but that is definitely the goal i'm definitely hoping to get there one day and i think if i do if i actually achieve that goal of making an actual proper feature film uh, which is not based about, you know, uh, very cheap, no budget stuff, but an actual proper film. And people are able to follow that process from back then when I started making mm -hmm. short films with a toy camera and, and an elevator and spraying yeah. myself with sunscreen because I couldn't <laughs> basically figure out uh, any other way to do it. I think it would be awesome to inspire the next generation of filmmakers, but also show that you can do it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, can, that, can that makes all sorts it. of sense. Yeah, that's great. So we've talked a little bit about some of the things that inspire you, but has there been anything recently that has been inspiring these particular projects or any, any movies or television shows or other sort of things that you've been putting into your mind to keep you excited and inspired? Yeah, absolutely. I love watching movies and watching movies is 
quite literally my only hobby. As boring as it sounds, every time people ask me, oh, what are you doing in the weekend? Uh, what are you going to do tonight? I always say I will stay home and watch a movie. <laughs> it's my joy. <laughs> I love watching films. I do it all the time. And I watch them both as an audience, but I watch them quite a little, a little bit also analyzing them. And if I see something that really works, I think to myself and make a mental note about why that thing works. But also, I like watching terrible movies because it shows you it's the best lesson about what doesn't work. So mm. sometimes watching bad movies is really, really good to see what you shouldn't do. A movie recently that I saw that uh, affected me a lot and I really, really liked was Joker. I thought mm. it was brilliant cinematography. Mm. So I'm very inspired of the looks of the Joker. I was very mm. inspired by the character journey mm. and uh, character study, basically, that they did there. So specifically for my short films, I'd say Joker is a recent inspiration. But for filmmaking in general, I love Buster Keaton and I love the silent era filmmakers. Basically, the great three, Chaplin, Kitten and uh, Lloyd. I, I just love the creativity of silent films because back then it was all about overcoming challenges in a creative way. And I think up and coming filmmakers now with no budget could learn a lot from the silent era filmmakers. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever interview somebody who mentions Joker in one breath and in the next mentions Buster Keaton. That's very unique <laughs> to you, my friend. You know what? I actually, specifically Buster Keaton's um, character back then, he was, you know, the great stone face. He was comedic, but had this, there's this look in his eyes that also is a little bit sad that I think someone should make a movie based on his Buster Keaton character, and that could be awesome. So I actually <laughs> do see some parallels in there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I guess one final question. What do you think make, let me try that again. What do you think makes for a really good short film? That's a great question. And that's something I think a lot, a lot about by myself. I think a great short film boils down to three things, I'd say. First is that, as maybe some people would not like hearing that, but first, I think it should actually scale down rather than scaling up. Hmm. I think the biggest mistake a lot of the short films I see doing is that they try too much. They try to bite more than they can chew and then mm. inevitably they fall flat. So I actually think that a great short film is something that is very focused on this exact moment of time that it's representing. Either be the whole short film is taking place in one evening in a dining room mm -hmm. or in a car ride. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very, very focused because I understand that filmmakers have big plans and big ideas. But if you try to fit all that into the short film, it will eventually fall flat, I believe. So keeping it focused, orientated, scaling down and doing something a little bit more simple, amazingly, I will take every day other than doing something big and ambitious in a mediocre way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, oh, that's great. Okay, well, Tony, it's been great chatting with you and I do wanna make sure people can find you. So where can people uh, find your work? It was fantastic to talk to you about it. And by the way, you have 
very sharp filmmaking mind. Everything that you said has been absolutely spot on. So that's that's brilliant to hear. Thank you for having me. And if anyone is interested, they can search for my name, Tony V. Genov or Genov. And it's like that everywhere. I'm active on all social media and I'd love, I love talking to people about filmmaking. So anyone can feel free to reach out. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, this has been another episode of Cheat the Camera. <laughs> you can find us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Thank you, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>